0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. I want to begin today with a bit of a a real estate update. I got these stats from the internet so you know they're true. The average cost of a detached two-story home in Vancouver in 1990 was $300,000. Can you imagine that? $300,000. Today, that very same home in Vancouver costs $2 million. Now listen, if you could go back in time and speak to the 1990 version of you, or maybe your parents, what would you say to yourself or to your parents? I'll tell you what you'd say. You'd say, get in the Vancouver real estate market and your financial future will be secure. That's what you'd say, and you'd be right. Well, listen, today we're about to learn that when you are in Christ, your eternal future is secure. Now, what exactly does it mean to be in Christ? If you remember, we began a few weeks ago with the analogy that Jesus essentially gave of a a branch in a tree. We said being in Christ is not like a, a hammer being in a toolbox, it's more like a branch being grafted into a tree. Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, listen, my life will flow through you and to you if you remain attached to me. But if you're detached from me, my life can't flow into you and you're not going to bear fruit. Now, over the last few weeks, we've discussed some powerful truths attached to this experience of being in Christ. And along with that and along the way, we've learned that these powerful truths served to combat some prevalent lies that you and I all tend to battle to some degree in our lives. Remember the first lie was, you're all alone. No one understands you. No one can help you. And we learned the truth that when you are in Christ, you are never truly alone. You are attached to Christ. His life is flowing in you and through you. The second lie was, you aren't uh, smart enough. You don't have what it takes to live a godly life. And we learned the truth that when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it's no longer about you, it's about Christ in you. The third lie was you're damaged goods. Your past is too messed up. Your life is a write-off because of what you've done in the past. And we learned the truth that when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The fourth lie that we learned last week was you're powerless. The pressure around you is too strong for you to overcome. And we learn the truth that when you are in Christ, you are empowered by his indwelling presence. Well, today we're dealing with that fifth and final lie, the lie that says your future is hopeless. Your future is nothing but failure after failure. Life is going to get worse, Worse. you hear this lie say. You're just going to have discouragement after discouragement. And then it's all going to end with you simply fading to black and ceasing to exist. I'm here to tell you today that that is a lie. I'm here to tell you the truth about your future. And as your outline says, the truth is this. When you are in Christ, your future is secure. In Christ, your future is secure. Now, why is this true? What is it about being in Christ that makes our future so certain? That's what we're going to spend a few moments today discovering. We're going to spend the final few moments of our in, in, our in Crowd series uncovering two future benefits of being in Christ. So let's get right to it. The first future benefit of being in Christ is a physical resurrection. A physical resurrection. I have stood with parents as they held their six-year-old daughter as she died in their arms. I've stood beside many open graves as the casket containing the remains of loved ones is lowered into the ground. I've stood with families as the body of their loved one was placed into the flames and turned into ashes. In every single one of these instances, the pain was present and the sorrow was certain, yet in every single instance, Hope was hovering right there with us in our midst. Why? What was the source of hope in those terrible times? The source of hope was this. In every single one of those instances, the one who had departed was in Christ. So what is it about being in Christ that made such a difference? 2,000 years ago, a man who saw the resurrected body of Jesus wrote this. It's printed on your outlines. He said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. Now let's stop there for a moment because Paul has packed a ton of truth in this tiny one phrase. He said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now that word Christ was, means the Messiah. He's saying the Messiah died. Now, that was unthinkable to the Jewish mind. That would be like Superman dying. Superman doesn't die. The Messiah doesn't die. So why would the Messiah die? Jewish people would be asking and wondering. See, the Jewish people thought that the Messiah was coming to rescue them from their political rivals. In reality, the Messiah was coming to rescue them from their personal rebellion. We, as human beings, had sinned. We had rebelled against God. And so our sins separated us from God. And there's nothing we could do to, to bridge that gap. So God did what you and I could never do. He, he cleansed us of our sin. He paid the wages that our our sin, uh, heaped, our sin had heaped upon ourselves. See, we owed this moral debt that we could not pay. We were morally bankrupt. And so Jesus, the Messiah, did what we could never do. He came and paid our moral debt. The Bible says the wages that sin pays is death. But the gift of God, the Messiah, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the Messiah did. He enabled us to once again access God by cleansing us of our sin through the free gift of eternal life purchased by Jesus. By the way, have you accepted that gift? Have you received this gift of forgiveness in eternal life? If you've not yet made that decision, at the conclusion of today's teaching, you're going to be given that opportunity. Well, in this verse, Paul is saying, listen, he said, there's no doubt that Jesus Christ physically died and physically rose from the dead. He's saying, I personally witnessed the resurrected Christ. That's what he's implying here, and hundreds of others as well, because he's saying Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. But then Paul adds another unique phrase at the end. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean? Now, the term fallen asleep was just another way of saying died. That, that's pretty straightforward, but what about that other word, firstfruits? Christ is the firstfruits of those who have died. What's that all about? Well, Paul's Jewish roots are showing here. You see, the Jewish people recognized that God had created the heavens and the earth, that means God owns everything. And in the Old Testament, they reminded themselves of this truth by participating in a ritual. In the Old Testament, they gave 10% of their harvest and their herds back to God as an act of worship. It was called a tithe. Now, they rarely gave the entire 10% in just one lump sum. They would give it instead in installments. And the very first installment was known as the first fruits. So with that in mind, look again at what Paul is saying about Jesus. He says, Christ Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died, who have fallen asleep. Are you seeing the picture Paul's trying to paint here? He's saying Jesus' physical resurrection is the first example, the first installment of a massive amount of physical resurrections that is coming in the future. So, who are these other people who are also going to be physically resurrected in this future? I'll keep reading. He says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die. On your outlines or in your Bibles, circle those two words in Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ, circle that, in Christ. So, in Christ, all will be made alive. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. See, Adam was the first human being. So, Adam is our common ancestor. That means every human being shares in Adam's physical nature. In the physical realm, in the physical sense, we are all in Adam. By the way off script for a moment, that really debunks the whole racist ideology, doesn't it? Ultimately, there's only one race, the human race. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks here at Broadway when we answer the question, what is racism and what's the biblical response to it? But the truth is we are all in Adam. We all share a common ancestor, physically speaking. That means that we can all expect to die just like Adam died, and that's sad. But for those who are in christ it doesn't end there for those who are in christ there's more to the story for those who are in christ there's a future benefit coming in adam all die in christ all will be made alive just like a branch is in a tree we are in christ our very lives are tied to christ That means because he experienced a physical resurrection, we will experience a physical resurrection as well. If you are in Christ, resurrection is in your future, and it's guaranteed. Okay, so what will these new resurrected bodies look like? Christ followers asked this identical question 2,000 years ago. Listen to what Paul wrote starting in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. He said, now someone's going to ask, so how are the dead raised? With what kind of bodies will they come? As we keep reading in a moment, we're going to notice that the first thing that Paul does is he points out what won't happen, what they won't be like. Paul informs us that the body that will be given in the future is not going to be identical to the body that we have in the present. It'll be similar, as we'll learn in a moment, but not identical. He says, the body that we have right now will be as different from our resurrected bodies as an acorn is different from an oak tree. Now, let me just say this. If you're watching and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what we're about to talk about is going to seem a little strange to you. We're going to be talking about supernatural resurrected bodies, and it's going to sound otherworldly to you. And there's a reason for that. It's because... It is otherworldly. It's another dimension. It's the eternal realm that we're discussing. Look what Paul says. He says, someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul says, you're thinking in the natural realm. He says, how foolish. What you sow, what you bury in the ground, does not come to life unless it dies. He says, a seed, when you put it in the ground, it ceases to be a seed, it dies as a seed, and takes on a new form of life, is what he's implying. He says, when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps a seed of wheat or something else. But then God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Paul's saying, listen, you don't plant an oak tree, you plant an acorn. That acorn that you plant is very different from the oak tree that emerges. And according to Paul, a similar dynamic takes place when it comes to our present and our future bodies. And he then goes on to contrast our present bodies with our future resurrected bodies. Look what he says in verse 42. He says, the body that is sown, that's put in the ground, is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. He's saying, listen, our present bodies are perishable. That means they're breakable. They stop working. But our resurrected bodies are imperishable. They are unbreakable. They never stop working. He goes on in verse 43 and says, it's sown in dishonor. Ah, but it's raised in glory. When our present bodies perish, when they break down, when they wear down, they're placed in the ground. Our once animated and energetic body that received decades of feeding and care and pampering and attention is brought low to the state of being an empty shell. Now think about it. How much money, how much time have you spent on taking care of your body over the years? Creams and oils and ointments and lotions and exercises and special food and special diet and massages and and. and pills and preening and pampering. Come on, just hair products alone, which I have saved a lot of money on over the years. But how much money have you spent on your body taking care of it? Well, someday it's gonna be placed in a box, in an urn, and it's gonna be lowered into the ground. It's sown in dishonor, but that's not how our story ends. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. In in a sense of perfection, he's saying, a a beauty. The body that's placed in the ground is not identical to the body that's going to emerge. Sure, our present body is going to be humiliated, but our resurrected body will be triumphant. It will be raised to new, imperishable, eternal life. But there's more. Keep reading. He writes, it's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Our present body, sure, they're prone to weakness, to frailty, to problems. We know this. I mean, we don't need a Bible verse to tell us this. I've noticed that our bodies are a lot like our vehicles. When you get a new vehicle, you spend your time talking about its features. You spend your time talking about everything that your new vehicle can do. But when your vehicle gets old, you spend your time just trying to keep it going. Well, it's the same when it comes to our body. When our body is young, we focus upon all the things that we can do with it. But when our body gets old, we focus upon just keeping the thing running. The body we place in the ground is weak. Paul says it's sown in weakness, but that's our present body. That's not our future resurrected body. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Our resurrected body will be strong, mighty, awesome in its features and its abilities. Well, you say, what kind of features, Darren? What kind of abilities are you talking about? Paul says it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. You see, our present body has limitations that our future resurrected body will not have. Our present body is entirely natural and physical in its composition, but our future resurrected body will be made up of different materials, a different composition. It it, it will have some similarities to our present body, but it will also have some new features and abilities that our present body doesn't have. You say, Darren, where are you getting this information? How do you know this? Well, our resurrected body will be like Jesus' resurrected body. Remember, he's the first fruit of those who have died, who have fallen asleep. And Jesus' resurrected body was a hybrid. It was a composite. It was physical, yet it was uh, spiritual or supernatural at the same time. If you remember, Jesus, they were able to see him visually. They were able to touch him, actually. He was able to eat fish, to eat a meal with him. But at the same time, he could appear and disappear at will. Where does the Bible say that? In the Gospels. When the disciples are, are locked in a room and they made a point of saying, and the doors were locked, then it says suddenly Jesus appeared in the room in his resurrected body. So it's a hybrid of physical and supernatural combined together. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. So when in the future will all this take place? Well, again, look back to the passage on your outline, the passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul said this will all take place when he, when Christ comes. We'll receive our resurrected bodies when Christ returns to earth. And Paul described that moment in another letter he wrote to another church, this time in the ancient city of Thessalonica. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, see that phrase again, in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul's saying here, this is what's going to happen. People who die in Christ, when Christ returns, let me put it this way. There's going to be people who die in Christ and there's going to be people who are still alive in Christ at that moment of Christ's return. And at this moment of Christ's return, whenever it is in the timeline of history, we're not going to get into that today, but whenever it is in the future, those who died in Christ, they will be resurrected first. And then those who are still alive and are in Christ will then follow them and they'll have their resurrected bodies and forever they will be with the Lord. Now, you may be out there and you're thinking, so why do we even need a body? Why do we need bodies in heaven in eternity? Listen, this is sometimes where we get caught up in, in Eastern mysticism or what's been known for centuries, for thousands of years as Gnosticism. There's this thought that our body is a bad thing and it's almost evil and it limits us. And, and to be truly liberated and free is to be a disembodied spirit floating around in the universe. That's when you're finally free. That is not biblical Christianity. To be truly human is to have a body. That's a part of what it means to be truly human. And so our disembodied spirits are then given, once again, a body, a glorified, eternal, supernatural body. We're once again returned to full humanity. That's what it means to be truly human, is to be a spirit dwelling within a body, interacting with our body, one with our body. And keep in mind, we're going to be living in a new heaven and a new earth. There's still going to be a physical realm. But it'll be a supernatural, eternal, physical realm. And we will have supernatural, eternal, physical bodies dwelling and interacting in that realm. Okay, we're concluding our series describing the life-changing reality of being in Christ. Two weeks ago, we learned about the benefits of a cleansed past in Christ, Last week, we learned about the benefit of an empowered present in Christ. And today, we're looking at the benefit of a secure future when you're in Christ. And the first thing we just discovered is that when you're in Christ, you are guaranteed that someday you are going to have a resurrected body, a physical resurrected body. You can count on it. It's secure. Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But there's more in our future than a physical resurrection. There's a second benefit coming our way. And that is a personal transformation. I read a story a while ago about a woman. She was looking online. She wanted to buy a dog. And, and she saw an advertisement on Craigslist or Kijiji. And, and it said purebred police dog. $500 for sale. Now, a purebred police dog for less than several thousand dollars. That's unheard of. So she thought this is an incredible bargain. And so she contacted the the owner over, you know, online. She said, are you sure this is a purebred police dog? And the guy says, I guarantee you it is. She says, all right, I'll buy it. And so she sent her address, and this dog was sent to her in a crate. Well, the day the dog arrived, she was excited. She opened up the the, the crate, and inside she saw this mangy, matted mongrel of a dog. She said, there is no way this is a purebred police dog. And so she contacted, once again, the individual that she purchased from whom she purchased this dog. And she said, I thought you told me that this was a purebred police dog. It's a mangy, matted mongrel. And the guy said, hey, ma'am, don't let his looks fool you. He works undercover. Have you ever been the victim of a fraudster or a con artist? Now, you can give a con artist a physical makeover so he looks great, but in his heart... He's still going to be a con artist. Well, will that be our reality when we get our new resurrected bodies? Will we have an eternal six-pack for abs, but still have an eternal sin patch for a heart? No. Our future in Christ not only holds the promise of an outer transformation, it also includes the promise of an inner personal transformation as well. I remember years ago, uh, a gentleman having a conversation with me. He was not a follower of Christ. And he said, listen, pastor. He says, why doesn't someone invent a religion where you get eternal life now? And I said to him, sir, you just described Christianity. See, many people think that you get eternal life when you die, after you die. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the moment you become a follower of Jesus, you become in Christ. And the moment you are in Christ, his eternal life flows through you. The Bible says we have this life, not we will have, we have this life, and this life is in the Son. His eternal life is flowing to you and through you. He's the vine, you're the branches. His life is flowing inside of you and through you. God's spirit has begun already his transformation process in your life. It's begun now and it will be completed and perfected in the future. That's what the apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. He said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's begun it, and he's going to carry it on to completion. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8, a letter he wrote to the church in Rome, verse 29. He says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now that phrase, God foreknew, what does that mean? God is all-knowing. God knows everything that has happened in the past. He knows everything that is happening in the present. He knows everything that will happen in the future. That means that God knows who will freely choose to accept his offer of eternal life. God foreknows who will be in Christ. And everyone who is in Christ has a guaranteed benefit of a personal transformation coming their way. For those God foreknew, He also predestined, predestined to be what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Picture a sculptor with a big block of clay, and he has a model over there, an individual, and his face, this person's face, is there, and this sculptor now is molding this clay into the image of that face. Well, when you are in Christ, you are guaranteed to be molded, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, we're not talking about the physical features of Jesus' face. We're talking about the moral features of Jesus' life. When you are in Christ, your character is guaranteed to be transformed into his character. That's because, like a branch to a tree, you are attached to Christ. And as his life flows to you and through you, it's transforming you. Now, you need to hear this. Someone needs to hear this. This is your destiny. This is your future. This is what you were created to experience. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen. That lie that says your future is hopeless, it whispers this into your heart. That lie, when we believe the lie that our future is hopeless, here's the type of stuff we think. We tend to think, when I'm sinning, that's the real me. When when I'm falling and tempted and falling into sin, that's the real me. And, And when I'm trying to live a godly life, that's where I'm going against who I really am. I'm fighting my true self. I'm fighting my true nature. I'm, I'm putting on someone else's clothes. That's not the real me. The real me is the sinful me. The, 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 the fake me is the godly me. The truth is the exact opposite. It's when you are living a life of sin that you're actually fighting against who you really are. Look what Paul wrote to the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesians 2.10. It's on your outlines. For we are God's handiwork. We're God's creation. He, He fashioned us. We're God's handiwork. Look at this. Created in Christ. In Christ Jesus. To do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have been created by God to do good works he created you with the intention and the design of you doing what is good and right not what is evil and wrong that means that the real you is the one that follows christ sin tries to knock you off from uh, off track from where you were created to go and who you were created to be listen Are cars or vehicles created to dwell in a ditch or to drive on a road? Well, to drive on a road, of course. Well, what's true of a car is true of you. You were created to follow the path towards the image of Jesus. That's the real you. That is your true destiny. Sin is not the real you. Sin is a power that tries to stop you from experiencing the real you. Now, you're listening to me today and your life is stuck in some ditch of sin. What are you doing wallowing in that puddle of filth? Get out of there. That's not where you belong. That's not your true identity. You were created to be in Christ. That's your identity. That's why you exist. You were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. For were God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which brings us to today's big idea. That's where we here at Broadway sum up the teaching in one simple, memorable phrase. Here's today's big idea. When you are in Christ today, you are on track for an incredible tomorrow. When you're in Christ today, you're on track for an incredible tomorrow. Just think of what is waiting for you in your future. A physical resurrection and a glorified supernatural hybrid of existence. Incredible. And a personal transformation where God will bring to completion the work of character transformation that he's already begun in your life which brings us back to the box at the top of our outline today. That final lie that our future is hopeless. No, today we learn the truth that when you are in Christ, your future is secure. You will be physically resurrected and you will be personally transformed. That's your future. That's your destiny. So don't let sin lie to you. Don't let sin distract you. Don't let sin knock you off the path of God's design and God's destiny for you. You are in Christ. You were created to be in Christ, if you're not yet in Christ. And that means you, in Christ, are guaranteed to experience a physical resurrection and a personal transformation. Your future is secure because when you're in Christ today, you are on track for an incredible tomorrow. Let's pray. God, I thank you, the power, I thank you for the power of being in Christ Jesus. I thank you that it's not our strength, it's not my power, it's your power, it's your life. I thank you for the destiny that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in the life of every soul, every spirit, every heart, every mind that is listening and watching today. I pray your purposes to be fulfilled in their lives. I would come against every lie, every deceiving thought or spirit that would seek to distort them or to destroy them. And I pray your peace and your power to be realized in every life in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here and you're watching and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. If you'd like to accept this gift of forgiveness and eternal life, pray this prayer with me right now. God, I don't want to live apart from you. I don't want to be knocked off track. I am tired of dwelling in the ditch of sin. I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Lift me out of that ditch by your power and your presence. I want to be grafted into your kingdom i want to be in christ i want the power of your spirit and your presence flowing in me and through me and to me may your kingdom come and your will be done in my life i repent of that ditch of sin and i accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life fill me with your spirit and now give me the the, the wisdom and the power to act on this decision by telling somebody about it in jesus name amen If you prayed that prayer, let me recommend this as a great next step. On the screen right now is a telephone number. If you were to text that number right now and say, hey, I decided to follow Jesus, someone will help you take the next step in your life. Now, don't worry. We're not going to harass you. You're not going to be placed on some mailing list. We simply want to help you and guide you to take the next step in your journey. If you know another follower of Jesus, tell them about the decision that you've made. Or if you're on one of our online platforms where you can interact with a host, let them know that you made a decision to follow Jesus and they'll help you take the next step there as well. God bless you, folks. Next Sunday, we have a special guest. The first winner of the Amazing Race Canada who has an incredible story to tell us next Sunday. I hope you'll be with us then. God bless you. Thank you for being at Broadway Church Online today.